you know, I don't know what you guys are like with choices or decisions. Um, I don't know whether you'd label yourself as a decisive person, somebody that knows where they're going, when, what they're going to do when they get there, how long it's going to take you to get there, and, and this is how it's going to go. And, and so everything's behind you, you're just looking forward, you, you're decisive, or do you label yourself as a cautious person? Um, you know, that, that everything's a little bit more thought through maybe, and, um, and obviously um, decisive people would say to cautious people, well, you just can't make a decision ever. You know, and that's what de decisive people may think of you as being cautious. And, and I may class myself as a decisive person, um, but put me in some situations that need a decision and you would see a different me. And now some of you already know my issues with car parking and uh, the fact that give me an empty car park and it's just a disaster area. I cannot decide where to park. I'm the same in restaurants when people need an order from me. I'm the last one to order. And even, I have to be under the pressure. You know, the waitress has to be right, right there. I have to be under real pressure. And even as she's walking away, I've changed my mind. And, uh, and then, um, you know, if, if I go into a swimming pool, do you know, I am fully committed to swimming. But if you watch me get into a swimming pool, you'd think, do you really want to do this? I'm the in-out, in-out sort of, oh, that's a bit cool kind of person. And, but that, that's me. That's, that's my indecision. You know, I'm terrible with options. But the truth is, you know, I don't really want to not have options either. So I'm really terrible with options, but I don't really want to be put in a place where I've got none either. And so then I start thinking um, to myself about whether I have commitment issues or commitment phobia, as psychologists call it now. Commitment phobia. And I, am I the only one here this morning that's commitment issues, that struggles with, with making decisions and stuff? And I'm sure I'm not. And, and then I start thinking, this is how my brain goes, you know, do I really have free will or is God in control of everything? Does it matter what socks I put on in the morning? Does it matter if they're odd? It does matter, apparently. <laughs> Rush, you haven't got any socks or a pair, so I don't know what you're nodding at. <laughs> but I have these revolving doors in my brain where I have these conversations. And I'm going to let you into a bit of an insight into how my brain works this morning. These are, this is one of those conversations. And so I have these doors. You have to imagine that there's a door here and I'm going to walk through it and you're going to see some illustrations come from what these doors look like. So on this side facing me is this door and on it, it says free will. And I know what that means. That means I can choose. That means I have freedom. It means I'm more than happy and you would be to go through that door, aren't you? through a door that says free will. So I push the door open in my head, I, I go through the door, the door swings behind me, I'm standing there and I'm loving it, loving it. But then after a while, it starts to get a bit uncomfortable or feels a little bit strange and I'm thinking to myself, in my brain, obviously, not out loud because that would be another conversation with other people. So I'm having this conversation myself going, well, why does this feel a bit weird? Well, you know, I don't feel quite as happy. And I look at the sign and on the back of the door that's shut behind me is this word, this word destiny. And I'm looking at that thinking, I'm sure I've just come through the free will door. But this says destiny. And as I look, there's some small print under it, under that sign. And under the small print, it says this. It says, God's sovereignty, God is in control. Oh, well, I want that. So I go back through the door again. I step over the threshold, the door swings behind me, and sure enough, on that door again, it says free will. I was right, it did say free will, but I never saw the small print. And the small print under that side of the door says, human choice, you're responsible. Human choice, you're responsible. So what is going on with me and this door? I'm in, out, in, out, in, out, hundreds, thousands of times in my life, a little bit like my relationship with God, I have to say to you. 
where I want to fully trust, I want to let go, I want to give God control, if you want to use that phrase, but then it's like, oh, that's a bit scary, isn't it? That's a bit unnerving. It's much better when I'm in charge, isn't it? And I call that free will. It's much better when I'm in charge. And so I find myself standing back at the door again, but wanting to be back in the room with destiny on it. And actually, if I really believe as a Christian that God's way is the better way, why do I find myself going in and out, in and out of this door, and worse than that, straddling the threshold? So I'm neither in or out of either of them. I'm somewhere in the middle. And here's the thing I want to confess to you this morning. Sometimes I'm still worried that I might be missing out on something. That I might be missing out on something. We want to keep our options open. It's like we feel we need a cushion or a security blanket just in case something doesn't work out. Anybody with me this morning? Just in case something doesn't work out. And we're not on our own with this struggle because the Bible has some stuff to say about this too. And we're going to go back to 1 Kings 18. And it's a really famous story. It's a story about when Elijah um, has a big showdown. And it's about a crucial moment of decision actually. And so what you've got is God and this idol called Baal. And what Elijah is doing is he's calling the people to choose, to make a decision once and for all between the true God and this false God who's got their attention, who's got their focus, and I want to suggest to you has got their heart, has captured their heart. So the key verse is found in 1 Kings 18, 21. It's going to come up on the screen for you. It says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And here's the key thing I want you to remember this morning as we go through this. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. They seem unwilling or even unable to make a choice. They want to sit on the fence, if you like. They want to keep their options open. They don't know how this is going to go. So they're keeping their options open. And we're no different in 2018, are we? If I was to give you the option of making a no turning back choice or one you could back out of if you needed to, what would you do? Or for those of you that are really into social media and you get invited to something and there's a yes, no and a maybe button, do you click on the maybe? I wish they didn't give me that option. Just yes or no will do, but they give you a maybe. So how many of us tick on the maybe? How about, are you somebody that keeps your phone on and you're going to something, you're committed to something, it could even be a, a, a gathering that we've got here maybe. Let's say you're going to encounter, which is our prayer meeting in a few weeks' time. You're going to encounter and you're fully intending to go. On the way there, your phone goes off and your mate says, oh, we're doing something tonight. You haven't seen him for ages maybe. We, we're meeting here. Do you want to come? And you think, actually, that's a better offer. So you ditch encounter and you're off to go and meet your mates because you think it's a better offer. Or even in church, you might be talking to somebody. But have you got your eye on somebody else in the, in the building that you think, I'm going to have a much better conversation with them? I've thought that. I'm not telling you who about, but I've thought that. <laughs> it's a good job we've got three locations now, isn't it? <laughs> I'll stop now. It got me thinking, you know, are you really ever fully present anywhere? Or, or 
Are you just committed to being under no commitment? Are you just committed into being no committed, non-committal? So I want to suggest the door I'm going through isn't about free will really and about submitting to God's control. It's more about that I would rather have a God of open options. I would rather have a God of open options. We want to reserve our right to keep our options open in every department of our lives. And we can see this in culture today. We want our options open right from sexuality all the way through to spirituality and everything in between. And why shouldn't we have our options open? That's what culture will tell you. That's what culture will tell you. Straddle the door frame. Don't commit one way or the other. Because as that song says, how close can I get to my surrender without losing full control? And one thing that might stop us doing this, fully committing to God, is actually a misunderstanding of what free will is all about. Because we think, I can think, that I'm giving up my free will if I commit to God. He's going to make all my decisions for me. He's going to make all my choices for me. My world's going to get very, very narrow and very, very small. Well, actually, if I go through the free will door, look at all of these freedom options I've got. I can do what I want, when I want, with who I want. Actually, can God be sovereign and can I have free will at the same time? And I want to show you that, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So I'm going to invite Russ. He's going to come and help me, um, bringing a chair. Chair's very important. Um, and so I'm going to try and explain this to an illustration I saw years ago, years ago, and it stuck with me. It's the best illustration I've ever seen about how God is sovereign and yet we have free will at the same time. So this chair here represents um, an issue, a, a challenge, a circumstance, an experience that is going to hit Russ's life, okay? And, and he's just walking through his life as normal, and I'm God and I'm over here, okay? So I can see both. I can see Russ and I can see the chair, Okay, so in effect, I'm God in this situation. I'm sovereign. So what do I do? So Russ is walking backwards through his life. I could shout at him and go, Russ, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're going to hit that chair. You're going to hit that chair. He turns round. Well remembered. <laughs> you know that phrase, never work with animals or children. So Russ sees the chair, he walks around it, he avoids it, the circumstance is gone. Okay, he hasn't been harmed at all, and that's somehow how God can deal with me. When I'm about to hurt myself, I think God sometimes deals with me like that. He says, Jane, he interrupts me, he speaks to my heart, he gets my attention before it's too late. So Russ has got another situation going on, he's starting to walk backwards, what I could do is just take the chair away. He never knows it was there in the first place. He keeps walking, not off the end of the stage. He keeps walking and, you know, and life goes on regardless, okay? And I think God does this for me. He intervenes in my life at the last minute or what I think is the last minute. He changes my circumstances. He changes my situation. He keeps me from doing damage to me. Okay, so... Russ is going through his life again. There's another circumstance he's going through. I could just stay absolutely silent and let him fall over the chair. Let him fall over the chair and not do anything, not say anything. Because my mum and dad used to say, sometimes you have to learn the hard way. And he shouldn't be walking backwards anyway, should he? And he should definitely be looking where he's going. 
And God sometimes lets me fall over the chair so I can learn. But fourthly, what I could do is let Russ walk backwards into this situation in his life. He hits it, he falls, but I catch him. But I catch him. The thing is with God, he makes it really obvious that it was he who caught me. I'm left in no doubt at all that it was he who caught me. But throughout that whole scenario, wasn't Russ able to turn around and see the chair himself? He hadn't lost all power of movement or, or, or his head hadn't stuck, had it? He could turn around and see the chair himself. He could stop walking backwards and avoid what was going on in his own life. But exactly the same time I was in control, I could see it all happening. I could intervene. I could shout. I could be silent. That was my choice. And also, any one of you lot could have shouted out as well and told him, but you didn't. But you could have. At one and the same time, we are free to choose our own course and yet God is still in control. Because at one and the same time, both things are happening. Do you get me? And that's how free will and sovereignty work, I think. He knows ahead of time which way I'm going to go. And the point is that I forget the truth of this, you know, because I think in stepping through the door into God's destiny, I still have freedom to choose and I forget that. I forget that. I still have my will. You still have your will. So what is the problem? Why can't we do this thing called commitment really well? What stops me? What stops you? Well, do you know what psychologists say? That as a culture, we demand choice. We demand it. If there aren't 400 cheesecake options, I'm not interested. We demand options. And most people think that more options means more freedom. And that limitless freedom must be a really good option. But here's the thing, you see, the irony of this now is that psychologists also say that limitless choice doesn't actually make us happy. Limitless choice doesn't actually make us happy because the number of choices just overwhelms us. And it makes us difficult to ever experience the joy, and it is a joy, of fully committing to anyone or anything. And even if we do commit, our culture's got this great way at the moment of making us feel somewhat dissatisfied with what we've chosen. Make us think we've made a wrong choice. And I totally get this, you know, because I hate going into coffee shops. And whenever I go into coffee shops with anybody, I always have tea. And I have tea for this one reason. There are two options, tea or decaf tea. And I can handle that, tea or decaf tea. I cannot be doing with the person in front of me that's going... Right, I'll have a vanilla one-shot latte espresso with skill milk done to 70 degrees with a bit of hazelnut, what's it in there? What is all that about? Have a coffee. I go coffee blind. And the reason this, I always have tea is because, not because there's anything wrong with the person making all those, making all those choices, it's because somehow that makes me feel inadequate. It makes me feel inadequate. And it used to make me feel anxious and really indecisive. So now I just have tea. But if you take that analogy and you apply it to bigger decisions that we make in our lives, like where we work, who we marry, where we live, whose phone that is, it starts to feel... It starts to feel like the more options we have, you can answer it, it's fine. The more options we have, the more we get afraid of making a decision. The more we get afraid of making a choice. And we can start to develop this persona where we appear to be non-committal. We appear to be non-committal. 
We don't want to make a mistake, and I get that. I get that. Sometimes we can be fearful of making a choice and we just refuse to choose. It's nothing that we thought through. We're just refusing to choose. But let me tell you this morning, refusing to choose is a choice in itself. So we go back to the people in 1 Kings we were talking about, the wavering people. You see, over the years before that, these were like to see God deliver them miraculously, supernaturally, time after time after time. Yet here they find themselves worshipping a different God who actually is about to be defeated. And this stance of hedging our bets, you know, staying somewhere in the middle, the open options, options God is killing us. Is killing us. Why is it killing us? It kills our relationships because it tells us we shouldn't become too involved with somebody. It kills us serving each other because it tells me that really I should take time out for me and I should have that time back and that's okay to feed me. It stops me giving. It kills my giving financially because it says to me, do you know what, Jane, don't give that away because there may come a day when you might need that for you. And the worst thing is, the worst thing is, is it kills my joy and limits my experience with Jesus Christ because it tells me that I better not get too spiritual. Do you know, I remember Russ and I chatting to somebody once and we were really quite exuberant about our faith and telling them and they just went, said this, they went, well, that's okay, you can go to church, but don't get too into it. What does that mean? Don't get too into it. It kills our joy of finding out what being committed to something is all about. And the most frightening thing is, guys, that all of us in this room will fall into that category at one shape, in one shape or form at some point during our lives. It's inevitable. And the Israelites probably thought, you know, that by saying nothing, they were keeping themselves out of trouble. And we all want to keep ourselves out of trouble. And I totally get that. But in choosing not to decide, they were making a choice. By refusing to act, they were actually turning away from the God who had rescued them. Who'd rescued them. And it says, didn't it, that the people were wavering between two opinions. And if you look in the Hebrew of that, that word is, is, um, is more lent towards the word limping. Limping. Indecision was crippling them. And it's the same for us. Being somewhere in the middle cripples us. We just don't see it at the time. And there's a great verse in James 1, verses 5 to 8. I'm going to read it from the message version. And he says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. You know, keeping our options open is such a bad idea. And let me tell you why that is. These are just some things from my own life, looking back, of things that I've done. There may be different things for you, but these are mine, and I hope you find them helpful. The first one is, I can get stuck in the grass is always greener mentality. I get stuck in the grass is always greener mentality. The more I've kept my options open, the more I've wondered if there isn't something better out there. And you can apply that to jobs. The sad thing is you can apply that to relationships. As long as I think that, I'm never going to quite reach my full potential of where God has me right now. And the second thing is, I can often settle for okay instead of excellent. And what do I mean by that? I mean, when I find myself looking for the next best thing, I can't really concentrate on where I am now. 
And if I can't concentrate on where I am now, I can't do the task or the job with any excellence. Instead, this is what I do to my shame. I find myself doing the just enough until the next best thing comes along. So you're not going to get the best of me or all of me. You'll get the just enough of me to get the job done. And see, and then I lose my focus. And focus is really healthy. It helps us achieve our goals. It helps us move forward. But if I'm concerned with making sure I've not committed to anything fully, that I've got my exit plan sorted out in case something better comes along, my focus just goes. My focus just goes. I'm focusing on what's next, and I miss so much of the here and now. How about this one? I find myself worrying whether what God is offering me today is really right for me instead of enjoying what God is offering me today. And when worries at the centre of my life, I can often trace it back to questions like, have I made the right decision? What's coming around the corner? Am I prepared? Am I prepared? Am I ruining something in my life? Am I with the right person? Have I missed out on my purpose? And that's what paralyses you and that's what cripples you. Because what that does is lend itself to this one, is that I find myself trusting in what I see rather than what God has told me is going to happen. And that's my cushion. That's my security blanket. That should be my option plan. And here's the truth, guys. God didn't create us to be someone who keeps our options open. He didn't create me to live in fear of making a choice. He created me to commit. He created you to commit. But first to him and then to each other. First to him and then to each other. He created us to choose. Now, before you say, Jane, but there's these bigger things in my life, you know, things I need to ponder over and work through and think through and get advice on. Of course there is. Of course there is. And I would say the bigger the decision, the more careful the choice. But there's a caveat on that. And the caveat is this, is that waiting just isn't the wise thing to do sometimes. We get to a point when waiting just isn't the right thing to do or the wise thing to do. It starts to become a matter of a lack of trust then. A trust in a God who is sovereign and in control and I've proved that by the chair. We need to be wise and rest in the fact that God is sovereign and totally good. Make a choice, commit. Stop straddling the doorpost and go through the destiny door. But you still could be like me and go, how can I be really sure? How can I really know? Because once I cut this, I cut this, and I just need to know. We're actually, we find it in Ephesians. Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Just ask yourself a question this morning. What would it really be like if God kept His options open when it came to me and you? What would it really be like? So I want to ask you a question this morning, just as the band come back. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Is there an area of your life that you're still somewhere in the middle with? That you're refusing to choose, refusing to commit, afraid there might be someone or something better? You know, and that could even be with God himself this morning. You're not allowing yourself to be too committed or even to make a commitment at all. You may be here and you may not class yourself as a follower of Jesus, you know, you, you may not call yourself a Christian, but I want to challenge you this morning. You may have all the information you need right now 
to make a commitment to God. Everything else we find out on the way. And we're always learning and we're always growing to what the beauty of it is. Me and God, we do this together. We do it together. Staying somewhere in the middle is exhausting, it's frustrating, it's confusing. And the worst thing is it gives the appearance, you know, of being able to have anyone and anything. But the bottom line is we often end up with nothing and no one. And be very careful about how you say yes this morning because we can say yes in loads of different ways. I can say yes to something and what I'm really saying is I suppose so. Or if I have to, it's all yes. Actually, what God is looking for this morning is a big yes to him and just saying, do you know what, God? I'm saying yes to you because we're going to do this together. And we're going to take communion this morning. And what a great opportunity to say we are all in God. We're all in God. Where we're reminded that he went all in. Because let me tell you something that's a fact that will last for eternity. Nothing narrows down your options like having your hands and feet nailed to a cross. Nothing narrows down your options than having your hands and feet nailed to a cross. And I dropped in on Limitless um, this week, an impromptu visit, and... um, and it was great to see our guys enjoy themselves. I turned up at the phone party afternoon, which um, kept well away from that. Um, but do you know what really blessed me? That the people that pastor our young people were fully in. They were all in. Nobody was more in than the Hancocks in that phone party. Seriously. And I'm, I say that jokingly, but I say it as an honouring to them too that these guys are all in when it comes to our young people and their, and their growth and their maturity in faith. And that really touched me. Because I know how difficult it is to make a decision like I'm asking you to make this morning. And there's another great line in that song that says, between the altar and the door. And I've often wondered what that line is all about. And actually, I think it's something along these lines. You see, you can listen to me talk this morning and agree with everything that I say. God can even speak to you this morning. You can be in total agreement with him too. And as we're taking this moment over communion, you're going to say to me, Jane, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be all in with God? Why wouldn't I commit to God? Why wouldn't I want God to be in control of my life? Everything makes sense and everything seems really clear right now. But then between where you're sitting and those doors leaving the building, something happens. Something happens. And it's like when my mum used to wash my hair when I was a kid. Not now, obviously, because that would be completely wrong. But she washes my hair and, um, and I used to, I was a whingy kid. I was a whingy, whingy kid. And I hated stuff running into my eyes. And um, so when she used to wash the shampoo, I used to run into my eyes, she used to sting. I used to whinge. And, um, and she'd go, Jane, if you just tilt your head back, it would run down the back of your neck and it wouldn't run in your eyes and you wouldn't have this issue. And I got it. I understood the reasoning. But every time she began to rinse my hair out, this kind of fear would overcome my trust. Fear would overcome my trust. And I'd look down and this stuff would run in my eyes again and I'd complain and I'd whinge to such a point where eventually she just gave me a face cloth and went, here, have that. Put that over your face. That'll stop some of it going in your eyes. And I know it's irrational, but my trust went out the window. 
Did I trust my mum? Of course I did, implicitly. But something just happened between the altar and the door. And I've moved on there because obviously I'm in charge of washing my own hair and I know that actually if I do look up, it does run off and I don't get the shampoo in my eyes. But, but, this is what I can do with God. Something happens and I look down instead of looking up and just like that shampoo, the circumstances that are going on in my life, the experiences I've had or are having or even my fear of committing will blind me. Looking down never solves the problem. It just pulls me to the wrong side of that door. And I know how hard it is for some of you this morning to look up. But you know what? God is waiting. God is waiting. Don't find yourself in a spiritual no man's land. You know, afraid you might miss out on what life's going to offer you. You know, don't be willing to be, go as far as God wants you to go until it gets a bit uncomfortable. You know, we could miss out on everything God has to offer. In committing this morning, in not holding out, we're choosing the God of the infinite and limitless possibility. But a God who limited himself to a certain time, to a certain place, to a certain group of people. The God who shut down every other option open to him to pursue you. To pursue you. And actually for all of us this morning, this is a moment, this is a moment for those of us who call ourselves a Christian that would say, you know, we follow Jesus. We know there was probably one moment in our lives when we said the big yes. When we said the big yes. But how true is it that we have to say yes every day? That today I'm going to live my life with Christ. Whatever comes my way today, I'm choosing God to stay in this side of the destiny door and walk my walk with you. We are all in all the time. And as you come out and take communion this morning, I want you to think about this. If I was to ask you this question, if I was to say to you, I believe in God, but I struggle to commit when it comes to, what would you put on the end of that sentence this morning? I believe in God. I believe in you, Jesus. But I'm struggling or I struggle to commit when it comes to this. That's what I want you to come out with this morning. With that in your head as you take communion. As you have that great exchange. What are you going in and out of that door about? What are you fearful of that door shutting shut behind you, thinking that you're trapped in somewhere that you can't get out of? What do you think is going to happen if you don't leave the door open? I want to encourage you, be courageous this morning. Make a move, make a choice to stay on the destiny side of the door frame because this is the truth. God often moves when I do. And so I want to invite you to stand as we start to sing and come and take communion. And let's be all in with God this morning.